Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Happy summer, fans of Takeaways. Get ready, because here is another NAOP Southern Nevada program recap. NAOP is the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Industry. The May program was titled, Welcome Home, the State of Home Building in 2023. The panelists we had were Scott Blazard, VP of Land Acquisitions with KB Homes Las Vegas, Nat Hodgson, CEO with the Southern Nevada Home Builders Association, George Garcia, founder of J.C. Garcia, who does land consulting, longtime NAOP member. And the moderator was Rachel Lyons, assistant director, escrow and contracts with the Howard Hughes Corporation. Before I go in and tell you what the program was about, I have to tell you that this program was sponsored by none other than Bob Potter with Affordable Concepts. All right. So besides being just an update on the housing market in Southern Nevada, this program was also about how the housing industry ties into the commercial real estate development industry. Now, this panelist and the moderator, they went on a wide-ranging conversation. They covered a lot of ground. You're going to hear them here in a second. Before we get to that, I will say there was a bit of some audio issues that morning. So at the beginning, it's going to be a little choppy, but stick with it because it smooths out and becomes just fine. Okay, I'm going to go away. You're going to hear applause, and then you will hear the full program from the NAOP May Breakfast, which was titled again, Welcome Home. The State of Home Building in 2023. Enjoy. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'd like to take a quick moment, and I'll start with Scott on the end, and ask each of you what you hope the audience gets out of today's presentation and panel. Um, when I was thinking about it, uh, for me, out of this panel and out of this conversation today would be uh, a greater, a better understanding of how NAOP, National Association of Home Builders, Southern Nevada Home Builders Association, how we fit and how we complement each other. Yeah. I guess you yes. Go for it. So you got to excuse the voice today. The allergies is kicking in. My office loves the fact I can't talk that much. Hopefully you guys get the same thing Scott just said. Better understand your residential construction. And if you still kind of know where our market's going, at the end, I brought this to curse the ball. Because <laughs> at the end, we might just have to go to this, but hoping to get a lot of it. Yeah, I, as a long-term member of NAOP and part of the Southern Nevada Home Builders, work on both sides of the equation in terms of really trying to get projects approved. And I what hope you take away from today is that we're basically opposite sides of the coin. And this is really the critical environment, the economic environment that drives Las Vegas. It's the home builders and NAOP. We're what makes it happen. Hope you learn a little bit more about that today. Oh, and if you don't understand what we do, we're the uh, red tape sherpas, so I need to change into my appropriate attire for the occasion. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 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 
going to have fun today. I can see. <laughs> so I'm going to get get started so we can get on with the panel. Nat, I'm going to start with you. Can you give us your perspective on home building today and what the overall environment looks like for your members? Well, the good news is I'd say we're normal right now because 30 years in this career, this is normal. We never have a flat line. Um, a lot of people panicked in the middle of last year, uh, me included. I was self-inflicted with the federal government's interest rates. Uh, I can tell you uh, we had a record first part of the year, and a real crappy end of the year. It started off pretty good this year. We're on track to within a couple houses of exactly where we ended up the whole year last year at. So our sweet spot's about 11,000 to 12,000 homes a year, and we're on track for about 11,500. Is it on? How do you turn it on? I think just up on your collar. It's on. Technical difficulties. No one's ever said they couldn't hear me. <laughs> Maybe not understand, but they. How about now? No. Now? Yes. Thank you. Great. So everything I said before, forget about it. No. Um, no, it's, it, the part that really makes me nervous coming off the course and we're going to talk about is cost. Because everybody keeps telling me they're waiting for the right time to buy and the prices are lower. You all missed it. It was last year. Okay, everything that's in front of us that we got today, everything's going up. And I'm not an athlete. But when you add a bunch of numbers together, the sales prices are written to the problem. Add a bunch of numbers together, you get the total number. And that's where we're at. So this is the time to buy. Uh, I'm hoping for some stability, and we'll get into talking about land and what have you, but obviously it's our biggest driver. Thank you. So, Scott, how does uh, the picture that Nat painted compare with your thoughts and your experiences lately? Well, I guess to begin with land in Nevada and Las Vegas, I have to kind of share a story. Uh, I'm a fourth generation Las Vegan, and my father was uh, in the Air Force and drafted to, went to Nellis. That's where he met my mom and was married. And when I turned 20, I got my real estate license and I told my dad that I needed his Rolodex to start calling his friends and family and try to drum up some business. And I told him I was doing land and he said, and this was only a few years ago because I was 20, but he said, <laughs> I think that's the wrong move for you, son. There's no land left in Vegas and there's no water in Vegas. And I said, well, that's what I want to do, so that's what I'm going to do. That remains true today. And at that time, I, I think the population was just over 200,000. It's a little bit more than that <clears throat> right now. So there evidently was more water and there was more land than anticipated. But when Nat talks about, in a, in a roundabout way, the supply chain and the costs being broken, our land constraint is, is real. And um, Summerlin, the, uh, some of the master plans are getting near the end. And the uh, BLM and the Department of Aviation and all that circle the valley, obviously. 90% of Nevada is owned by the BLM. So land constraint is also a supply because we don't build houses, we build widgets. And we want to build as many widgets as possible and we want to make as much as possible. And one of the supply chain issues is land. And so that's, from my perspective, the supply chain is broken because we just have a lack of availability of land. And 
you know, we need to we need to fix that. And there's fixes, and I think we'll talk about it in this panel. But those, all of the above, NATS vertical and horizontal, both need to be uh, loosened up. We need to figure out how to do that. Thank you. And George, how does the recent market conditions affected your business? I think picking up on, on what Scott said, because how's the mic? Can everybody hear? Good. So I think part of what Scott was saying, and so while Nat's saying, you know, the market's better, there's no question. The, and the market's going to go through its ups and downs. That's not surprising. But I want to pick up on what Scott said. The land availability is a couple of different things. It represents the master plan communities, the large master plan communities, which are basically not, not only were large land holdings, but they could afford to hold the land, had it at low prices, and they could develop the infrastructure and everything that made possible. Today, you can't even find 100 acres, really, you know, to try and find a large piece. So it's finding infill sites, and while infill is greatly encouraged by all the jurisdictions, it's the most difficult, painful experience to go through because you have to work with all the surrounding properties and try to figure out, you have to figure out how to deal with the existing infrastructure and how to make it work. So filling in those lots is difficult complexity, time-wise, the expense that goes to it, and of course, the, uh, the, the problem of basically inefficiency, really, because it is a small piece. So if you take five acres, 10 acres, compared to taking 100 acres, it's far less efficient to bring a lot to market. And our market has to be competitive with, our, with places in Salt Lake, places in Arizona. So while we're competitive compared to Los, you know, Los Angeles pricing, California pricing, and brings a lot of people here, we have to be competitive as a business and as a housing market for others. So our job basically is to help our clients try to navigate that system to get them through you know, with as much predictability, with as much consistency, and in a reasonable amount of time is, is feasible. And that is getting more complex as the regulatory environment, the land constraints get more uh, greater. And so that becomes a bigger challenge every day. But I will say one thing just in closing on that part. <clears throat> the challenges we have are great because you could be in a community where there's no challenges because there's nothing going on. <laughs> Yeah. And I'll ask the panel this, whoever wants to answer. What does demand for home builders look like today from the buyer perspective? Maybe Scott. I guess I'll take that. Um, demand today is like for KB is like Black Friday at a mall. And everybody rushes the door and they all want to buy. And we have a lot. We have millennials that have come off the bench and decided that they're going to be adults and buy homes. We have baby boomers that are selling their home that they've lived in for 30 years and they want to buy new, more efficient homes um, and fix their costs, so to speak, as far as the utilities are concerned. But when they bust the doors to the mall and they walk in and they find only one, I don't know, Cabbage Patch doll or Beanie Baby or robot, whatever the, the item is today, and they buy it and then there's nothing else, you still have 100 people there wanting to buy that robot or that Beanie Baby. It's not there. Or if it's there, it's not affordable or it's not attainable. But it doesn't change the fact that home builders are building widgets, especially public home builders like KB. We're gonna, we did 1,860 houses last year. We're hoping to do 1,600 houses this year. We need to grow. And so we're willing to take a smaller profit to grow, but it is not from a lack of buyers. There is buyers lined up at every single one of our communities. Obviously, with interest rates where they're at, many of them don't qualify. They make four or five, six grand a month. They just don't qualify for the house that we're trying to sell them. 
A lot of that is relative to supply chain, a lot of it's relative to cost of land, a lot of it's relative to increased interest rates. We're buying interest rates down to help that buyer afford that, and most of the smart buyers, like Nat said, are buying today, and they're buying the house, and they're renting their mortgage. They're gonna refi that house, they're hope to refi that house in two to three years. They're gonna struggle until rates settle down, I'm not predicting rates are coming down, but it is logical that rates will you know, somewhat settle and come into a point where they could refi, they could end up with a great price on a house, which is today, and they could end up with a good interest rate. They're just gonna have to wait for a couple years uh, to get that interest rate where they can afford it. But it's truly Black Friday uh, with people wanting to buy. It's just there's no red light specials. Most of you guys don't know what red light specials is because <laughs> Kmart's done, but uh, there are just not as many there's not as many homes to buy that are all of the things I talked about as there are buyers to buy them. So demand is, is enormous in Las Vegas. And if I can just add, I got a mic Whoa, now. now you can really go. Whoa. My office wanted me to sing yesterday because he liked this voice better. One thing, you, you asked the question at the beginning, how's the market? I told you we almost stopped pretty much building houses the last part of last year. There's one thing that nobody's been talking about that did not stop. The migration, the net migration to people it kept happening, four people per hour. I think that's 34,500 a year, okay? We're talking net. Now, I don't know where the hell they're all staying because I have only got so many at my house, but they're all here. They've been waiting to buy. So they're coming out of the woodwork, but we have had the steady migration and we still will. So we'll always, I just told you, build 11,500 homes. Let's say apartments do a couple thousand. We're not building enough to house these people. So it's always gonna be you know, a lack of supply. And one thing Scott hit on is interest rates. Everybody freaked out because it almost hit seven. I got a VA loan in 1984. I think it was 15 and a half percent. So when I hear people freaking out seven because they, have a, they had a 2% mortgage, seven is our 30 year average. So we're pretty much where we were before the roller coaster up and down. And Nat, is our net migration, has that grown? I feel like from my perspective, less people are moving out of Las Vegas than in the past. We used to be um, perceived as being a very transient town, and I think that's changed, and I think that's changing the market and the home builders and the home buyers. Is that correct? So I'd say just a little bit. I go off of Sieber's numbers, because uh, you know they do a really good job in their study. They actually show a, a, a minor increase every year, the net migration, and then like I think it's like 15 years from now, a little bit less, probably because of the availability of land and housing. Thank you. And how are the home builders mitigating the market conditions with the high interest rates? You're buying them down, and those home buyers that can't qualify, are you guys doing anything to help them? You're more of an entry-level buyer's builder, Scott. Well, KB takes a little bit different perspective than some builders. We do buy rates down. Um, we don't typically buy a forward commitment, mm -hmm. which a forward commitment is when you're buying from a mortgage company a rate in the future, where buying a rate down is when a person qualifies and you buy that rate down. So we're, we're buying their rates down and we're offering incentives, but uh, for the most part, KB's position is the house needs to be priced correctly. So we have reduced house prices by nearly $50,000 base house price since the, the peak you know, in early 2022. And we feel like that's a better long-term solution for both the buyers and for us, because then they're buying the house at the bottom. They're not buying the incentives that when interest rates go down, 
what did you get? You didn't get anything other than a higher house price with a bunch of subsidies. So we prefer to buy, to, to reduce the sales price of the house and we're still offering incentives as far as buying rates down, but there's communities that we're even not doing that now. They're just buying a market rate, but we believe the house price being down is the best solution. And how deep is your list of people waiting to buy your homes? I know during COVID, our lists were very deep and we didn't expect that. How deep is it today for the wait list? Well, in early 22, we were, uh, every community we had, all 30-something communities were on a lottery. Pull the name out of a, a fishbowl on Sunday mornings, on FaceTime so everybody could see, hold their name up to the camera, and that's that. Today, because of the supply chain issues, because of the lack of labor, because of the cycle time to go from sell to closing on a house, it's, it's really Russian roulette because if you sell a bunch of houses today and you can't deliver those houses for nine or 10 or 11 months, you don't know what your true cost is nine, 10, 11 months from now and you don't know what the market is. So some builders have gone to building all spec and then just selling a house 30 days before it's ready. In our situation, th that's not our business model. Our business model is to sell somebody what they want, they buy the base house, they customize the house and then we start construction. So we're now, in order to temper demand, I know this is a long answer to your question, we only release the number of lots per week or per month, per day in some cases, that we know we can get through in our cycle time of seven to nine months. So right now, I can't tell you because every lot we release sells. And then once those sells, once we get them through the system or starting on the system, and we know we can build another set of houses, we release those houses. So our demand is you know, very high. It's just I don't know the number. Mm -hmm. I could have told you in early 22, but today I can't because as soon as we release three lots, our salespeople start getting on the phone, they line up, those three are gone, and then we move on to the next. Right. And so we all know there was a slowdown in the fall of 2022. I was part of it. We stopped selling land like we planned. What do you think brought us back to the moment we are today, where interest rates are even a little higher than they were in the fall of 22? Everyone stopped selling land, and here we are today. I mean, it's, it's gangbusters. So what do you think brought us to this moment? Well, I, I can tell you this. Being, uh, I had a front seat in a roller coaster. I was with Pulte Del Webb for 18 years. <clears throat> so I had a front seat going up, which I will tell you is a lot better seat than a front seat going down. But anyways, uh, what we just experienced last year it was self-inflicted. Everybody still had their job, still made their money. By the way, none of those things were the case in 2008, nine. Correct. So there was really nothing to recover from. Everybody was pausing to see what was going on because the interest rates were like a ping pong ball. And then when they figured out that it's just gonna hover here, they came out of the woodwork. So we didn't have anything to recover from in my mind. I feel, just from my perspective, it was a roller coaster every day in the fall of 2022. We just didn't know what we were going to get every day. And that was part of the self-inflicted pause. And if you're watching the news, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen. It's clearly fear and uncertainty, right? That, I mean, those are huge drivers of, you know, human motivation. So I think part of what's incumbent on home builders and everybody in this room to work on is the solution. Slicing the pie smaller and smaller is not ultimately going to get us there. I mean, it's getting us through as we go going through this time and for the near term foreseeable future. But realistically, we've got to do something to address the land availability. It's either that or we're going to be fighting the density issue, which 
that's there as well too. Right. So more land, which is, which is a federal issue, and we're working, NAP's working, home builders working, we're working aggressively, we've been working on it. I mean, I started working, the first paper we did was with Tim Snow, with Thomas and Mac, on the lack of land, and that's going back quite a ways. More recently, NAOP has updated its studies, you know, and we brought forward reports that are basically in, in Congress to show why we need more land and the problems. And that land, even if we get it today, to get infrastructure out there and everything else is not a short solution. It is still a midterm to long-term solution. We have got to be working on that solution. So while Scott, Nat, and everybody that's in the business are working on today's issues, which are critical, how to deliver, we have, if we don't figure out a way to do the longer stuff, it's gonna be a problem down the road. So we need to keep a lot of pressure on our elected officials and Congress to make the change is necessary. And our local leaders, particularly at the county, are the tip of the spear on trying to move this through Congress, but that's something we've got to do. And of course, we're all addressing the, the water issue, the home builders, you know, the uh, NAOP builders, um, we're, we're taking steps and been working with our, one of our, of course, President Circle sponsors Southern Nevada Water Authority to find solutions, but the land one is the critical, you know, that's, that is the biggest issue confronting us. So I, I applaud, you know, Scott and what he's able to do, but I think it's, it's too easy to ignore what we need to do the next step. And besides the land issue, I think one of our biggest issues or challenges that our home builders and, and us alike are facing are supply chain issues and labor mm -hmm. challenges. Um, how are you guys handling that? And how is that affecting home buying? And like you said, the process I know is a lot longer than it used to be. So what are we doing to handle that? Go ahead, Matt. Well, I'll tell you this is a nationwide problem. The good news is, and this is good news, because of the lack of building towards the end of last year, our suppliers got a little bit more caught up. I'll be honest with you, that's why it looks better today. We still have an issue. Um, the whole West Coast, the entire East Coast, has a huge issue with transformers. Now, MV Energy, I got to applaud them. I was just with them yesterday. They've done a great job at their buying and how many they've stockpiled. But back East, there's 2,000 homes by one big developer back there that are finished with no transformers. But every day, it's garage doors, it's paint. It's gotten a little bit better only because the volume went down. But I've already told you, our volume's back up. So, and labor, labor's gonna be a problem. Uh, I don't know why, but people aren't flocking to go out in the trades and go out in the elements and build. We are the last man-made production cycle done in the nation. And I, I know they got 3D printing, I'm not totally sold on that, um, but it's still a production that's done out in the field. Uh, we need to encourage our young adults that it's a great living, because labor is a huge problem. Thanks, Matt. I think from a, from a builder perspective, the supply chain issue has gotten better, and specifically supplies. Almost all of 2022, we were installing temporary air conditioners. Brand new, just not the spec level and the SEER rating that KB requires under its you know, uh, energy smart homes. And then once the compressors came in, we would go in and swap out someone who's lived in their house now for six or nine months with a brand new compressor that came in finally. Mm -hmm. Those things have caught up. Now we have garages full of six month old compressors, compressors <laughs> sitting in there. I have a conference room in my office that has stacked to the ceiling, wall to wall, double ovens because there was a law passed that you couldn't deliver a certain double oven because kids were pinching their fingers between the two doors. So Whirlpool stopped building double ovens. 
we bought a half a million dollars worth of double ovens from Best Buy locally. That person, that salesperson was very happy. <laughs> Same with the guy at KB that swiped it on his black Amex um, and his points. But now we're out swapping those units. We're swapping refrigerators. We're swapping dishwashers because we had to, you asked how we resolve that. I think the labor side of it, the biggest problem is NAOP. You guys are building too much friggin' industrial and office space and you're taking all the good labor. So if you guys would slow it down and let some of those people come into the housing market, we would be fine. But our framers, our electricians or whatever, they say, Scott, we'd really love to be your low bidder on this, but we're building 600 units for Kalita or we're building 600 square, 600,000 square feet for Dermody or whatever. Would you, we would rather go sit on a large commercial site Ovation, my goodness, they take every framer in this valley right now. And I'm not throwing stones, I'm, I'm kidding, I hope that you all know that. Some of you that know me know that I don't, uh, that I kid around a lot. But <laughs> the point is, there is a labor shortage and it's not helping because we build the rooftops so you can build industrial to supply those rooftops. And we build the rooftops so you can do the commercial, the industrial, all of the things. But you're not sharing the love by letting us have some of your laborers. And you know they are moving here, but you'd be amazed at how few skilled laborers are, are, are coming here. Right. I wanna to touch on one thing Scott just said, because I think people missed the point, supply chain. Every builder went back, replaced the garage door with the one that they really, that they, that they ordered, but the supply chain. The builder and the trade contractors eat that cost. Okay, it isn't like Mr. and Mrs. Smith paying an extra 10 grand because they're going back, changing out the garage door, they're putting the real light fixture, the real plumbing fixture in, the real AC condenser. And then guess what? It takes more labor. You go to the house twice. People don't understand that. So we're going almost twice as much labor and eating a crap load of cost that comes out of the margin. And I can tell you, being a profitable home builder, and then in my last two years of my career at Pulte, being a non-profit home builder, it doesn't <laughs> last long. And I figured out one thing. Volume doesn't help when you have a negative margin. Just FYI, write that one down. And one of our biggest challenges, which we've touched on, is water. And I do think in the Valley, all of us in this room, we're very cognizant of the water issue. We all try to be good neighbors to the Southern Nevada Water Authority. But how has the, the challenge of water affected home building? I, I definitely want to take this one. About every four hours I get asked this question. Uh, when I started home building 93, my president then said our number one issue here is water. It's 2023. What's our number one issue? Water. So we embraced it. When I say we, Pat Mulroy, I got to give her all the credit. Mm -hmm. uh, she's the one that had the vision. Um, I'd love to say us home builders just stepped up to the plate and said we're going to do this. But in 2003, she passed a riveting a water ordinance that restricted a lot of water use for new homes. No new turf, no turf at all in the front yard. Well, of course, us builders said, we'll never be able to sell a house. Okay, we were wrong on that one point, okay? Um, we have jumped on board on water conservation better than anybody else in the nation since 2003. Nobody, unfortunately, us having less than 2% of the lake, you can shut off all water to Southern Nevada and you won't affect the lake level. Okay, not when California's got 4.4 million acre feet and how do they get rid of their water? Out the ocean, that really helps. The whales are happy, that's cool. Um, we have something here called a closed loop system. Water used inside, 
because now you can't even be on septics, but our builders really didn't build on septics. It all goes back to Lake Mead. I mean, what we use per capita is insane, but you gotta remember, the water compact was signed in 1922. There was hardly anybody living here, so we used the California attorney, first problem, uh, that represented Nevada. And pretty much they said, well, what crazy people are gonna live in the middle of the desert? <laughs> all of you and us. Um, so back then you could say you know, what you will, the allocation wasn't right. But what we do as an industry, commercial included, the strip, the strip always gets called out. Well, if you look at the water efficiencies the strip does, it's unheard of compared to anywhere in the nation. Again, new homes, if you stop building new homes today, forget about the economic crash that would happen. And I'll let economists talk about that. Um, we return all of our water back. We have drippers, little tiny drippers in the front. That's not a waste of water. And you hear all the rants, I can't believe you're letting commercial new casinos and houses still get built when we have a water crisis. I'm gonna ask one thing of all of you guys, it's our consumptive use of water. I live in a community with half acre houses built late 90s, early 2000s. It looks like White River Rapids going out the valley gutter every morning. That's the water it's used once and gone forever. If we don't get our shit together and reduce our consumptive use of water, we will have, we will have a major crisis. But it's not new builds. We can add two million more people in a high rise on the 215 curve. Don't tell Kevin that, he'll probably buy some more <laughs> property there. Uh, and we won't use any more water. It gets, it gets back to the lake. Okay. Quite simple, that's the best way I could put it. I wish California, if everybody else just conserved 10%, it would be okay. But again, us conserving 100% water will not help the lake. Thank you missed, you missed a couple though. The legislature, 600 square foot pools, right? That one, and what's pending in the legislature now to reduce the water consumption even further, you know, for the high water users. So continuing the industry and NAOP, of course, dealing with reoperative coolers, that change is coming. So I think we're all stepping up to the extent that, that we can. But the septic system that's an issue that's in front of the legislature, they're kind of, that one's not, I don't think, fully resolved, but that's not gonna bring, yeah, it's that pretty much was gonna put more water back into the system, that's not done. Um, I don't know that the Boulder City, Boulder City, I don't know where they're at with their, their water treatment facility, that water goes into the desert. It does not come back into the system. Those are problems that have, are going to have to be fixed to, again, address the consumptive water that we're losing and we can't afford to lose any longer. Yeah. And kudos to uh, uh, Mayor uh, Hardy. Yeah. He's actually working on getting Boulder City on the return flow credits. You know, it's going to be, what, three, three yeah, years of environmentalists or whatever, and the septic part, I believe, is getting taken out of AB 220. But to George's point, NAOP, commercial, resorts, Residential, we've all stepped up every time. We've been partners with SNWA. Literally, you're getting blood out of a turnip. We've got no more water to give in building new homes, except for the water we're, we're even using, this kills me, water smart fixtures inside a house. Okay, if you use an extra 100 gallons inside a house, you return an extra 100 gallons to the lake. But a lot of it's optics. We do it. We supported Howard Watts' bill two sessions ago on that. But Indoor water usage is non-consumptive use. It's outside. And again, we put like 10 drip, drippers out in the front yard. Not gonna do a whole lot. I feel like we could have a whole panel on water alone. So, um, but you brought up legislation. Uh, what efforts or local government issues are touching the home building community on legislature? Wow, we don't have enough time for that. I know. <laughs> uh, let's forget about inclusionary zoning. Uh, even the rent control, uh, you know, there's a bill out there, I don't know if you guys heard about it, on time frames for submitting 
tentative and final maps. I've heard a little bit about it. Um, trying, to, trying to have transparency, accountability, and predictability. Somebody said it earlier. At the end of the day, what I'm what I lobby for is for our members to have predictability, transparency. What the hell's the other one I just said? And accountability, sorry. We're all held accountable. Uh, we need that true for everybody in the process because one thing we didn't talk about is time is money. And in one area where you can get something processed in 60 days, to, you know, after you buy that nice chunk of property, if you did find that acres, in another area it might take nine months to a year. That cost to carry, top of my head, is $540 per lot on average. And again, that's back when we, uh, you know, you look at 2010, we used to buy an acre for $150,000 if it's five to the acre, that's $30,000 for a raw piece of dirt today. One million, I want to round it down, it's usually 1.2 million right now. $200,000 for the raw piece of dirt for that house. That's before you improve it. That's a $170,000 increase. I go back to my first thing. When's a great time to buy? Now. Because I don't know who all is landing here, but I don't think you're gonna discount it. I know Howard Hughes isn't. So, <laughs> now's the time to buy. Well, and, the, and the other part of that is, not only is it the cost, but the longer it takes, the greater the uncertainty goes up. So we've got clients who bought it, and then of course along comes what happened, you know, here as far as you know, with COVID and everything changes, logistics, the economy, and everything else. And suddenly, you know, while everything shut down, then the interest rates start going up, supply chain problems. They can't build that product that they had pro forma when they acquired the land for today's prices. And, and so, and even more so, it gets even worse if you bought a piece of land and you now can't build septic system home, you bought a bunch of land, you can't build the septic systems and the infrastructure is too far away, you literally can't build. You, you're, you're basically toast and I know a number of people in that position. So predictability and certainty, we'll never get 100% there but we, have, we go a long way to improve the system. Definitely, definitely something I know different jurisdictions are working on and some have been more successful than others but that's, that's something we again all can be a part of to try to make a change. From, a, from an optimistic glass half full, not to be facetious, perspective. Year over year, for about 10 years, our population was growing. It's, it's always been growing, but our population was growing. We were using less water year over year for 10 years. This valley is a bunch of innovators, a bunch of people that will not say no, just like yourselves, that made this work. To oversimplify what Nat said, when you buy a KB home, or you build an office building, or you build an apartment complex, you are not using any water. Industrial, you're gonna get hit hard because those ginormous swamp coolers on top of those things need to be fixed. You're gonna have to go to regular AC. Matt can back that. They're coming for you, just like they came for us. You say you can't do it. Nat said we couldn't sell houses without a front yard, with the grass. We did. You're gonna survive without swampers, but they have to stop. There's too many million square feet of office, of industrial using swampers and we need to save that water. It's something like 92% Nat, that goes back, whatever gallon you flush, 99% of that gallon goes back. So let's understand that. Secondly, and we talked a little bit about it, they're talking around about it. We have to, we're a big city now. We have three professional teams in Las Vegas. We are a big city now. We can no longer be the small town Las Vegas. We can no longer have the 
idea in our minds that everybody should have a half acre lot and a swimming pool and a basketball court and a front yard and grass for us to play on. It's over. When we go in for zoning, I'll give you an example. We went in, I bought 10 acres. I'm just gonna call it the corner of Main and Main. It's not Main and Main, but it was two, a double section line corner just off the corner. I went in for zoning in Clark County. The county commissioners said, no, 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 there's no way you could build eight to the acre on this site. These neighbors don't want that. You need to build 8,000 foot lots, 10,000 foot lots. You know what they should have said? Hope none of them are in here, Nat. This doesn't get recorded. What they should have said was, there is no way you can build eight to the acre on this site. That is ridiculous. We have a water problem. We have a land availability problem. We have an affordability problem. You need to build 12 to the acre. Why would you even consider building eight to the acre on this? You're wasting natural resources. You're wasting the God-given right for people to own a home. But no, they don't. And that's not, I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying the NIMBY, everyone in this room is guilty of it. Don't say you aren't. I am just as guilty. We need to understand. I have children that are buying houses. I have grandchildren coming close to buying houses. I know. And I want them to be able to afford a house. They can't afford a house on an 8,000 foot lot, on a 6,000 foot lot, on a 4,000 foot lot, on a 3,000 foot lot. Nat just told you what we're paying for land. It's insane. Don't tell Rachel what we're paying for land though, by the way. And so we need to change our mindset. We need to change our mindset and say, we're a big city now. Drive to a big city. Go to Salt Lake, go to LA, go to Chicago, go to New York, go to any of those places. Their density, they would laugh at us. And yet we, Nat and I, get our hat handed to us when we go sit down with the elected officials. They need to understand this problem, and we need your help. NAOP needs to help. If you want to continue to build office space and industrial and warehouses and retail, you're going to need the land too. But the only way that land works for you is if you have rooftops. The more dense we get, the more you can build, the more you can occupy. What's happening to your big boxes? We're knocking them down and building houses on them right now because of Amazon and the likes of the industrial. We need to wake up and realize that density is one of the hundred spears that we need to have thrown to get this valley back on track. And it uses how much water? Zero. But if we want to continue to build 6,000 foot lots and 8,000 foot lots and 5,000 foot lots, there is some, even if it's just small drippers, Nat, apartment complexes use no water to speak of anymore relative to the occupancy per square foot. Industrial users, no water to speak of other than your swampers. Let's cut that out. Let's build without using any more water. What a novel concept, and we've already proven that we can do it. Yeah, and just a little uh, background. You know, SNHBA has partnered with George and his firm. Uh, he's gone through, I mean, Clark County's gone through Transform Clark County. Henderson's gone through a couple of their uh, code rewrites. And George will tell you, it's a, the way you get to affordability, I'm going to say obtainability. Affordable housing, yeah, forget it. I'm out. Um, obtainability is density. There's, you can't run from it. You can't hide from it. And yes, builders will continue to build for a profit. I want to make sure everybody understands that because I get that thrown at me all the time going, your builders just want to make a profit. Yes, they do. Modest profit. I mean, Scott just told you what they're doing. We need our builders to make a profit because you guys know what happened 2009, 10, 11. Nobody was good then. So we need to make sure we do our diligence. Again, I got people like George working with us. 
to try to get through the jurisdiction. Hey, they have, by the way, their end goal, we're giving them how to get to their end goal, and density is a big part of that. Well, in density, if you're going to diversify the economy, kind of Scott's talking, we got to build homes. Well, not only does it free up land for perhaps other things, but more importantly, it creates housing for the jobs that we want to create. You can't, you, that's just the opposite end or the flip side of that coin, like I talked about, for both industries. If we're going to have those homes that have to be attainable, you know, then you've got to have you know, places for people to live where they can work and be close. Otherwise, you're like Boulder City. The young kids can't afford to live in Boulder City. So where's your workforce? And, you know, that, and that's not a good, that's not where we in the, in the core part of the valley want to be. So density is critical, and, th and that's what I said at the beginning. More land, or we're going to keep slicing the pie finer. Getting more land is, to get what we need is challenging. Where density has got to be part of the solution. And density with design and done properly and integrated with a community is not a bad thing. There's plenty of examples. I remember when we did the first, what we called efficiency lots in Green Valley. That was like mind-blowing, groundbreaking phenomenon. And yet, today, people buy those homes and don't give it a second thought. They fit in perfectly with the community. Done properly with a good master developer, good designers. Ed's here, Chris, you know, we can do good design and make those things where they're compatible and fit. But the idea that if you have, and this is sacred land, rural preservation land, and if that's sacred and you can't do any kind of density, then we've got a land problem, and we have a housing problem, and we have a place for kids who want homes to go. And so we've got to work on land, and we've got to do something about land availability that's there and density. Now, speaking of land availability, we've got 34 years of RMP land left. We've got about eight years of non-RMP land left. Kind of scary, isn't it? So, I mean, by the way, that's reality. The good news is there's a lands bill, second time around. Masto had the first one. Every, all of our delegation loves our SNPL land bill. No one outside Nevada likes it because Harry Reid wrote it. The money stays here. It goes, I want to say, 10% SNWA, 5% general fund. So if we stop buying land, by the way, us taxpayers have to make up that money. But right now there's a 2.5 million acre lands bill. Out of that, I'll just cut to the chase. Out of that, I'm looking for about 6,000 acres out of the over 2 million acres because there's a couple million acres for the tortoise, tortoises and desert because there's something we need to make sure we do in the state of Nevada. We need to preserve desert because we don't have a lot of it. Hey, no, no criticism. Just, just how much did we give to the Indians for their, you know, basically. They for, got a little bit of this one too. Though. Yeah, so they're, but they got a huge, we can't even get 10% of what they just got for the lands for the next, you know, for the next 10, 20 years. So, you know, we've got to get our delegation has got to get a fair piece of the available federal lands. Uh, that's just, it's, it's, it's critical. I'm, I'm critical. moving in with the tortoises. They just, <laughs> you got like 100,000 acres coming. Yeah. I think all of us up here could talk all day. I think we're all obsessed with land and land development and hoe building. I know I am, but I know we're running out of time. So where do you see us going? You know, I know as Summerlin, we're always reinventing ourselves, looking at where we can go and change and grow with the Valley. Where do you all see us emerging and reinventing ourselves the next 12 to 24 months? I'll start with Scott. Um, I guess real quickly, we, we for the first time built an attached product in Summerlin. Kudos to Rachel and her team. And it was 12 to the acre. We'd never built that in Summerlin before and for KB. And Rachel and her 
team went by it when we first opened or not after we first opened, but maybe six months into opening. And she called me and she said, we love this. This is the greatest community ever. Everybody loves the way it looks, the way it feels, whatever. The water situation and density and all that was perfect. It's a way that we could coexist. So I think that kind of reinventing for KB, we're now grading on a parcel in Summerlin where we're going to build our first three-story homes. That's reinventing for KB. I know it, there are other builders building three stories, and I see that happening. But across the country, KB is now looking at, well, we've tore down a few Kmarts. We've so, tore down a few big warehouse buildings or you know big box stores, Best Buys, and so forth. However, I think the next, one of the reinventions I think that's happening right now is like, I don't know what the occupancy of Howard Hughes is, Howard Hughes Parkway um, on Paradise, but it's dismal. And I think that you're going to see in the next several years condominiumizing some of these high-rise office buildings. The vacancy is, well, I'm speaking to the source of that. It's tragic what is going on with a lot of these high-rise buildings and CBDs across the country. And it's happening in Austin, it's happening here. And I see condominiumizing some of those high-rises and rather than knocking them down, they're talking about knocking down Howard Hughes, I think that you'll see somebody go in and condominiumize that and sell those units for sale, not for rent. I think you'll see some for rent, but I think you'll see some for sale. And that's my crystal ball. I looked at it before he sat down. <laughs> I'll tell you, we, uh, when I was with a builder in 2007, we were already doing it because we're right where we were in 2007. Not economic-wise, just talking about, holy cow, we're going to make this work because I was the one across in Red Rock that built three-story models because I was getting ahead of everybody. And then what could go wrong? Well, the recession hit, if you remember. I, did, I built those in record time. I also knocked them down in record time and built two stories. Um, we started going to the Bay Area. The good news is we have a lot of publics in our association that are building here in Southern Nevada. They already do this in other big cities. It's called Manhattanization. We went to the Bay Area, went to New York. They do this for density, how to do it right. So the good news is they all have a portfolio and they're already starting to look at it and think, I'd like to say think outside of the box, but it's already being done in there in the areas. We're just doing a little bit of a paradigm shift. Yeah, there are other products in other parts of the country that we don't even have here yet. And I think that's what we're gonna, that's part of what in the housing area we're gonna see those product types come. But it would help if we had less construction defect issues that hold that up. That's been a big obstacle for, for, for as long as I can remember. So the construction defect is a, for attached product is a real detriment. Um, obviously, it's a density issue. So while Summerlin can do it, you can't go necessarily do it everywhere else because it's not easy. Um, so there, there are challenges, but clearly that, that, that those bringing those new products that are higher density and they're great products. They look good, they sell good, and you know, people like them. They're just, they're going to be here. It's new, and that doesn't mean it, in certain areas it's going to be well received, but I, I think that is an, it's an inevitable transition. We've got to solve the density question. Back to Scott's, I think Ascent is the product he's talking about, and it was done beautifully, and it looks, it does look so nice, and it fits so nice, and it's just, it is the emerging market. We do need to be ready for higher density. Um, so I'm going to leave you with that, and we're going to go to Dan with Q&A. I do think, Dan, while you come up, well, that it's, it's fun, fun, challenging times. People can hear me. Sure. All right. Thank you. Thank you. There's been a lot of good questions. Um, 
how is the industry code changes such as electrification affecting permitting timelines? Electrification and permitting timelines, I don't think it's really had an effect. Electrification is going to have an effect. Solar talks. Right now, we're in the beginnings of those. Uh, county will be the first one to roll it out. We just had our meeting with MBE yesterday. What concerns me more is the infrastructure needed. We just found out yesterday that EV, the load that's required for an EV outlet, is more than what's required for a 1,500 square foot house in total. So I'll just that, that was my shock I got yesterday. I'm more concerned. So Summerlin, you might be. Need a couple of substations because that you got to get more power. Trying to get ahead of it. Yes. So it hasn't affected permitting, but we got to be prepared for it because it can affect the cost and our infrastructure. George, you have two questions. One is, do you wear that jacket to <laughs> commission meetings when you're trying to get a client some good zoning? Absolutely, of course. Okay, yeah, good. sure. No other yeah. way to go. You may know this more than others. How many apartment projects are in the timeline, or units, or? Do you have a grasp on that? No, no not right now. But the uh, if in you terms drive of the, everywhere, numbers, that's all you see. Yeah, you see. Well, and gets back to what Nat said. You know, the, you, if housing isn't affordable, you got to live somewhere. So, what's the affordable, if not interim, solution? You go live in an apartment or you rent a home, right? Those are the only options. So, apartments been going up now. Whether the the latest numbers show rents dropping is just a temporary phenomenon or something indic indicative of whatever is going to happen next. We don't know. But I think clearly it's back to density. People have to have affordable places to live. If they got a job and they can only afford so much, we've got to provide them decent, affordable housing and good schools and, you know, and, and everything else. So I think in part, apartments are, are not going away. We're going to continue to see plenty of them. Even if we build higher density residential that people can buy, that, you know, whether it's a townhouse or it's a condo. So that, that, that trend is not going away. We're in the room today with home building royalty, Jennifer Lewis. She's been fighting for density for how long with Robert? Forever. Um, and you guys said you were, they were ruining her lives, but now it's called <laughs> affordable housing. Um, what, how do you see the future density happening when it's normally was four to the acre? Is six gonna be the new norm? I don't know that six is going to be the new norm, um, but I think it's going to have to be more than that, frankly, with what the remainder of land in this valley is. I mean, obviously, with the lands blown, other things that'll free up, but it's as much the availability of land as it is the availability of water and other precious infrastructure. Somebody had a question on Pahrump. That was very exciting before the Great Recession. Is that coming back for home builders? Scotty's. Well, KB years ago paid for uh, a study on to affordability, attainability is probably what it would be called today. And people will drive. At that time, it was like they'll pay $1,000 less per mile to drive to affordability. And we're seeing that in some of our outlying communities. I mean, all of the parcels that we bought from uh, Jen and her family in Section 19 up Blue Diamond Road, we thought that was way out there, but as long as they were priced correctly, they sell. I think the same is true in Pahrump. Uh, William Lyon, Taylor Morrison, uh, they've done a really good job out there. I can tell you Larry Canarelli has, you know, made a large bet that that's going to work out there, and he's been right about 99.9% .9 of the time, so I think it's a fair bet that they're gonna, we're going to be out there. Larry. No. <laughs> 
Does the audience have any more questions? Yes, Bob Potter. Scott, I think Scott can talk a little bit about that because you have to go find creative ways to, you've got to find your people, the architects, the engineers who are basically going to be part of that solution. It's an insurance, it's an insurance issue at this point. How do you create an affordable, how do you create an, a package of a team that can make that work around the construction defect to get it affordable? And Scott's got a better handle on that having done, gone through all that, but it's, it's clearly still an issue that ought to be addressed better at the legislative yeah. level. Um, it's a great question, and yes, it's affecting. I can't build a condo in Las Vegas. Our corporate office and our risk tolerance will not allow us to build a condominium for the construction defect reasons. And the problem is, right now we have a split. You know, our, our governor is Republican, and our the rest of the state is Democrat. And so, anything we put up, one votes for it, one votes against it. We're to stalemate. That's actually okay today because we're okay with the construction defect laws the way they are today. But the headwinds are such that just one or two elected officials in the next cycle could spin that. And so our corporate office is saying, oh, so you wanna buy, con we wanna build condos now, Scott. Well, we have to put like a $20,000 insurance policy per unit on that because if the tides turn and the headwinds come on construction defect, we're back to where we let off and we'll be building at the time that this regime change, if you will, happens, and we're doing everything we can to stop it, but right now it's okay. It was good several years ago, and it got a little bit worse in the last, uh, with the last governor, and it's still okay, we're good, but we are seeing that it's gonna get worse. Yeah, I'll just add to that, 2015 is when we got CD reform. I'm not gonna say it was awesome, but it, after fighting it for 20 years as a builder, Finally, without getting anything, we got something to be fair to everybody. We have a great Nevada State Contractors Board that is there for a homeowner for zero to four years. Now, me talking to all the legislators, past governor, current governor, nobody wants to touch it. But here's the problem, which is good, the word's at now. It's about as fair as it's going to be. But to Scott's point, when you got corporate capital going, well, today it's okay, but let's go back to it. You're going to buy that dirt today. 2023. You're going to take a year and a half to entitle it, 2025. You're going to start build, do the land development. You're talking 2027. What's your legislator make up? Now, by the way, if anybody thinks they know that, they're, you're on my cough drops. Uh, you don't know, and that's the problem with risk. The law we have today is as fair as it's going to be, and that's why you see the townhomes. I can tell you, no bill. we went from doing 20% attached product in 2003, 4, 5, and 6 to 1% in 2012 and 13 solely because of construction defect. Got reform in 15, some tweaks in 19. The tweaks, they did increase the statute of repose, but didn't really touch the substance. Like now you have to have a definition of a defect. What a concept, right? But we didn't have one. We do want attainable and affordable housing. We do. Right? So it's, but, but, but I don't get there. I don't know if there's going to be any movement, and sometimes you be careful what you ask for. We're in a good place, but the publics have to go, and they're looking, you know, they, they build all over the nation. They're like, well, I'd rather put my capital over here 
Florida has the best laws, and I'm going to get return on investment. They have land. If they don't have land, they have a hurricane, wipes out houses we can rebuild on the same lots. It's called reuse. So we don't have that right here. Any other questions from the audience before we wrap up? All right, I think we'll leave it there. Um, I could just see the headlines from today. Scott Blazard says uh, NAOP should stop building so much industrial product. <laughs> I like it. There we go. You said nice. <laughs> uh, thank you to Bob and Affordable Concepts, ACI. And uh, we'll see everyone on June 8th, second Thursday. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.